Chapter 22 of The Outdoor Girls at the Hostess House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Outdoor Girls at the Hostess House by Laura Lee Hope. Startling Developments. For a moment the girls stared. Then Sergeant Mullins was besieged with a veritable flood of questions. He hangs out mostly at Thomasville, a town about 15 miles from here, the sergeant explained, when at last the girls had realized that if they ever hoped to learn anything at all, they must give the man a chance to speak. And he makes most of his money by skinning the rookies. You mean, cried Betty, translating camp slang into intelligible English, that he gets the newly enlisted men to play with him before they have a chance to learn his reputation, and, of course, gets all their money because his game is crooked. Exactly, agreed Sergeant Mullins, his grave face clouding angrily. And equally, of course, it's the week following payday when he makes his big haul. I hope you succeed in getting him, he said, turning earnestly to Betty. And if there's anything I can do to help, you can count on me. Betty thanked him, and the girls watched the sergeant straight, retreating back with thoughtful eyes. Well, it's a comfort anyway, said Molly, as they turned and went into the house, to know that he's as bad as we thought he was. And perhaps, she added hopefully, Sergeant Mullins will be able to help us. It was more than a week later when the first eagerly looked-for letters began to arrive from overseas. It was one day when the promised rush of soldiers into the camp had been fulfilled, and the girls were particularly busy entertaining and finding comfortable quarters for their relatives and friends, that Molly whispered the joyful news into Betty's ear. Letters, she cried. Letters, honey. Here are yours, two of them, and each one of us others get one apiece. We've decided not to open them until tonight, when we'll have time to read them in comfort. If you'll wait, too. Of course, promised Betty eagerly accepting her portion of the precious correspondence. And they're thick ones, Molly, and... Both from Alan, Molly finished mischievously, looking back over her shoulder to enjoy Betty's blush. And that night, when they should have been tired out with the day's unusually hard work, the girls assembled in their big room, feeling more wide awake than ever before in all their lives. Oh, hasn't it been perfectly awful, cried Molly, facing them with shining eyes, to have to go around calmly for hours and hours as if nothing had happened. With a letter just begging to be read too, put in Betty, two fever spots of excitement on her cheeks. I don't think I could ever do it again. Well, it's all over now, said Amy, taking her own thick and promising-looking letter from her silk blouse, where it had been rustled and crackled betrayingly all day. I don't know about you girls, but I just can't wait another second. Oh, please just wait a moment until I get my shoes off, begged Grace, sinking down on the edge of the bed and removing the shoes from her aching feet. Oh dear, she moaned, I know I'll have to get a size larger next time, and if I do, I'll be ashamed to be seen in the street. Well, even my patient and much-tried pedal extremities feel a little the worse for wear tonight, admitted Molly, as she flung a shoe vindictively to the farthest corner of the room. 
and mine, agreed Betty, taking up the plaint. I tell you what, she added. Let's all just get undressed and tumble into the big bed and enjoy ourselves. The suggestion was unanimously accepted, and thereafter, various soft and filmy garments flew thick and fast as the girls got ready for the treat which had been postponed all through the long, long day, almost the longest they had ever known. Come on, Gracie, called Molly, as barely five minutes later three figures sat propped up in the bed, waiting impatiently for the fourth. What's the use of primping tonight? Nobody's going to see you. You flatter yourself, drawled Grace, as she turned away from the mirror. Anyway, I once read that a girl should never allow herself to look homely, even when she's alone. Goodness, if I have to work so hard to be beautiful, retorted Molly, holding her letter up to the light in a vain attempt to read its contents through the envelope, I'd rather be good and homely and comfortable. If all wishes were so easily granted, Grace began, but at the look in Molly's eyes thought better of it. I meant, she corrected herself blandly, that of course, you can never be anything but beautiful, Molly. Well, I don't know, of course, said Molly, with the same vengeful light in her eyes, but I'm always suspicious of anyone who goes to extremes. Never mind your suspicions, Molly, cried Betty, with a happy ring in her voice, as the last of the quartet climbed in under the covers. All that interests me now is the fact that I have a couple of letters that are just begging to be read. Yes, and I'd like to know if that's fair, said Grace, looking injured. We only got one apiece, while here you are rolling in luxury. And they're both in the same handwriting, Allen's, of course, added Amy, peeping over Betty's shoulder. Why does he write you two letters that he knows will both reach you in the same mail, Betty? Just to be original, I suppose, answered Betty, striving to speak calmly, while a hot flush mounted to her forehead. Anyway, she added lightly, I suppose the best way to satisfy our curiosity would be to read our letters and find out. Oh, I forgot, cried Grace, pushing back the covers and slipping out of bed. There's just one thing better than reading letters. Now what are you after, cried Molly despairingly. Well, she added, tearing open her letter decidedly, there's one thing certain. I'm not going to wait another minute. Well, nobody asked you to, retorted Grace, slipping back into bed with the precious candy box under her arm. And what's more, she added threateningly, if you're going to be uncivil, I won't ask you to share my candies. Goodness, now isn't that the limit, cried Betty suddenly, and they looked at her in surprise. She, in turn, having thought aloud, flushed and turned back to the letter. I'm sorry, she stammered. I really didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you don't, Betty Nelson, cried Molly, slipping a hand over Alan's letter and forcing Betty to meet her eyes. We won't any of us read another word till you tell us what you are going to say. Well, you don't need to, Betty was beginning when she met Molly's eyes and laughed resignedly. Oh, all right, she capitulated. I was simply going to say that the nosy old censor crossed out a whole line just at the most interesting part. What was it? coaxed Amy teasingly. Come, Betty dear, tell us what he said. Goodness, cried Betty crossly, getting redder every moment 
and knowing it, didn't I tell you the censor crossed it out? You know very well that wasn't what we meant, cried Molly with a frightful frown. Amy was referring to the sentiments on both sides of the censored part. Oh, well, you could hardly expect, Betty was beginning, when Amy, who had been peeping over her shoulder, clapped a hand to her mouth too late to check a sudden exclamation. Oh, girls, she cried gleefully, what I saw, what I saw. Amy Blackford, Betty's eyes were black with real anger now, I don't know how you could do such a thing. I didn't think it of you. Not only Amy, but the other girls were frightened by the sudden change in their usually good-natured little captain, and Amy hastened to make amends. I'm sorry, Betty dear, she said, flushing with a real shame beneath Betty's accusing eyes. I didn't mean it. Truly I didn't. And I'll never do it again. Never. Oh, all right, replied Betty, controlling herself with an effort and turning back to the letter. I'm sorry I said anything, Amy, if you didn't mean it. There was a little constrained silence after that, no one knowing just how to clear the rather electric atmosphere. They went on reading absorbedly, only the crackling of the paper as they turned a page breaking the deep stillness of the room. It was Betty who finally relieved the tension. If that doesn't sound just like Roy, she said, and they looked up expectantly, relieved at the naturalness of her tone. Alan says that he, Roy, that is, was very much impressed with his first sight of a camouflage ship, said he had devised a fine scheme of killing off the German army in a hurry. He disguised himself as a piece of Limburger cheese, and when the Huns came running to him, he'd simply give them a gentle little tap on the head. Hmm, snorted Molly contemptuously. How long do you suppose he'd be able to keep that up? He says they'd never suspect the truth, Betty chuckled. They'd simply think it was a particularly husky piece of cheese. End of chapter 22